Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. So it's Women's History Month, and we are continuing to celebrate our favorite vampire builders. And it would not be Women's History Month without celebrating the one and only Ripley Raider. Ripley is the founder and CEO of her eponymous fashion label. Her ready-to-wear brand encourages women to express their individuality through timeless silhouettes and softly tailored separates. And to top it all off, her most recent passion project is an empowerment camp for teen girls called Camp Rocky Road. Thank you for coming on the show, my dear friend, Ripley Raider. Hi, gorgeous woman. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm psyched to be here. I really am. So happy to have you here. I, you know, recently moved across the country and you were definitely one of the people that I needed to see in LA. You are my, my inspiration. I mean, my, my girlfriend, my fellow fashion vampire entrepreneur. I just am so grateful for you and your friendship. And I needed to get that out of the way before we get into all things Ripley, because our friendship means so much to me and gosh, you're such a cool human. Well, it's a mutual admiration society because I feel the same way about you. And LA's a little dimmer without you here. Oh, so we miss I'll you. be back. I'll be back good. very soon. Good, good. You'll see I people just the time. amount. Yeah, you have to just sort of, I feel like when you don't live in a place and you come to visit, you see people more often than if you actually live there. So totally, totally. Mm-hmm. So you and I met each other um, during our adult professional lives, uh, kind of in a career setting. Um, but I would love to know what little Ripley was like. I mean, I have the belief that we all just come out cooked like at five. (laughs) Uh, So I think how I am now is how I was then. But in some ways, I think then I was probably even a little bit more fearless. I think I was probably, I came out like tap dancing from the womb. Um, There wasn't a picture of me without like costume on. Um, I didn't play with dolls because I always just played dress up with myself. I mean, you know, I was probably an impossible sister to have my incredible sister had to deal with me, like sucking the air out of every room. Um, (laughs) But I, yeah, I think it's the thing that we have before the world gets to us, but that wildness, but this, but wilder, I don't, I think that's exactly who I, who I was. I mean, Uh, I relate to that. I relate to that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What was your first fashion memory? Um, when I was 10 years old, I was in a, a dance company and we had to make um, costumes. And I had watched my mother and my grandmother sew. Um, and my parents owned a, a home decorating and upholstery uh, store. So I was used to it. But for myself, Um, we had to make a costume and one of these beautiful dresses, just like a beautiful, beautiful dress. And um, a lot of people got their dresses made, but my grandmother chose to make it for me and I got to make it with her. And that apps, and it was, it's still one of the most impeccable pieces that's ever been made for me um, or that I've had my hand in. And uh, it really ignited my passion for sewing. And then at that point, she got me a subscription to InStyle magazine at age, I think 11 or 12, maybe. And I was in West Virginia. I mean, we had to drive an hour to the gap 
you know, like, so this was big. So that's probably, yeah. Yeah. It ignited it. Did you continue sewing, um, consistently from that point? I did. So I was always in very serious, um, sort of musical theater training from the time I was 10 years old, I was in, um, class voice lessons or class five days a week, hours and hours a day. What I would do for fun was so specifically starting at 13 and 14, but by 15, I was making like hippie shirts for the girls at my high junior high. And they were like the band across the front, then the ruffle on the bottom. And they sort of crossed in the back. Yeah. At, yeah. At $15 a pop. So I was making those for the girls in my school from age 14 and 15. And then I just kept sewing for myself and everything that I, I have body dysmorphic disorder the other way where I think I'm taller and like more talented <laughs> and than, our, than I am. And so I would make clothes all the time that wouldn't actually fit me. They were too small. And so I would give them to people, but I made prom everybody's prom dress and you know, or my, my circles, my circles closed. That's amazing. That's like similarly to me with jewelry. I ended yes, up exactly. Like, yeah, totally. Cause and people like, want a part of it and they want to support you. You mm-hmm. know, we, we both have businesses that are in existence because of the support of our female community. And from the early age, I have, I recognize that we are conditioned to, um, women are conditioned to fight each other and, and uh, be pitted against each other, even subconsciously. But I have to say across the board from a very young age, I have, women have been in my corner and are the reason that I've have any sort of success at this point in my life. I think that there, we've talked about this on a couple other radio shows as well, but there is something special, really special about the female community in Los Angeles specifically and the support system that exists there. and based on my friends that are in cities across the states, I, I do find it to be something that is unique to Los Angeles. Can you speak to that and how that's really helped you? Yes. I mean, women are the reason I have everything. A woman buyer was the reason I launched at Fred Siegel. A woman editor is the reason that I got an article about me in, um, in LA Mag, which launched the company. Female celebrities have been on my side, I, I don't, I just feel like in LA there, there seems to be space allowed to let each other thrive in New York. I felt very on, you know, I love New York, but it was very, you know, you're on top of each other. Everybody's fighting for the subway in LA. There seems to be a, a subconscious energy to let other people bloom. And I have been blown away by the support of women in this city. I could never have had my company in New York. I think that LA for me was the the perfect place for me to grow my business and to start it from the ground up truly, because mm-hmm. I mean, in any, in any environment, in a coffee shop, in a restaurant, at a networking event, at a party, everyone would say, oh, how are you? Like, what industry are you in? Great. How can I support you? Yes. The yeah. follow-up question is always, how can I support you? Who do, who do you need to meet? Who, how can I help you? It was, it's the most humbling thing and such an antithesis of the stereotype of Los Angeles, yes. but there is something so sweet and, um, and supportive about the women in LA. A hundred percent. It's there. I mean, and I'm dealing and you are too with models and fancy people and, and they, 
the fancier, the nicer is what I have found. Yes, um, totally. But across the board, I have, it really does go against the stereotype because I have had nothing but support. I really, I'm trying to think of any negative experience. I really, um, nothing that, of course, like some challenges with work as it, as it's grown, but really on the whole, women have been the cornerstone of my, I mean, I love men too, but women, women are the ones who will put their neck out for you. Yes. They'll walk into a room and I, and I guess men, I mean, men have been doing it for each other for years, but I do believe that, uh, it feels like a different level of, um, passion that women support each other. And, and I'm really, really grateful for it. Same. I love that. Um, you mentioned the growth of your company. Let's start with how you started making your first piece in the collection to where you are now. Well, for two years, we just did jumpsuits because I made a jumpsuit. So as I was performing as a musical theater performer, both in New York and then moved to LA, I was just making my clothes for fun because I love making my clothes. And I wore a jumpsuit. I was at a, at doing a gig in Vegas. After the gig, I put on my jumpsuit, went to a concert, got scouted in line by a buyer from Fred Siegel who um, said that she would launch me if I made in America and if I um, could sell it for under $200 and I could. And then I, I started making just jumpsuits and I never made my production jumpsuits because I'm a fine seamstress for myself and friends, but I am, I'm not a professional. And, um, and so I handed it off actually to like some really, um, skilled, uh, I think they were literal gangsters, but, um, in some Valley <laughs> that like, literally, I think that they, that was like their thing, but they could sew a jumpsuit and, um, and I was so grateful for them. I made one cry once. It was like sad, but so why they, am I not surprised? <laughs> like, I was like, you can understand my disappointment. Um, no, but they were amazing. And so they started making the, the jumpsuits. And so for two years, we just did jumpsuits because I wanted to go narrow and deep. I wanted to establish myself that I could do something really well. And right after that, um, the next piece we launched in 2013 for 2014. So we launched it in October, November of 2013, um, was a wide leg pant. That was like the next piece, but with that, which has now become our absolute biggest seller. It is the signature piece of Ripley Raider. Um, but with that wide leg pant, I did a, like a, at the time I said a full collection, but it was pretty much a capsule. It was like 14 pieces. And that was the first, and that was the first time I had ever done more than a jumpsuit. So that was for spring 20 or two, 2014. And then from that point on, we've done, we've grown and done full collections and then now, um, because of the pandemic and, and many other things, I'm bringing back the idea of Ripley Raider being a capsule, um, everything perfect collection, no filler flowers. It's all just heavy hitters, bestsellers, clothes that make you feel amazing. That's all, nothing else. I mean, they are the things that I gravitate towards nearly daily in my closet. Um, I mean, they're my tried and trues. Even I was away this weekend and I thought, oh, I'll bring Ripley's like wrap tops just in case. It was like the last two things that I threw in my suitcase and the first two things that I wore on the trip. It's yeah, that, always your, always your pieces. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I feel that way about your jewelry. 
you know, I just throw it on. So, and I'm not just saying that, (laughs) but yeah, that's what I want. I want really wearable pieces that, um, and I, and I think we can all feel this way. There's not a person who's done anything in their life that hasn't gotten a little carried away with the hamster wheel of success is what I call it. And I think because the, the idea of success is a moving target. So you reach a level of success. You're at this level of success that the former you would have popped champagne over and you go, oh, this is great. What's next? And because of that, thank goodness for the entrepreneurial spirit. But there's a, there's a downside to that. Um, it, it becomes a hamster wheel. So you never, the output, there's never any settling. And I think, and I mean, settling in a very calm, looking at what you have, what is working, what isn't working, because you're so busy building, growing bigger, 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 that now the pandemic was an incredible opportunity for us. And for me specifically, as the CEO of the company to step out and go, what is working? What isn't working for me? What can I do to keep the business alive? What can I do to reach my clients the best? Um, and then only do that moving forward without, uh, without getting back into the ever moving target of success. What did you need to do to keep the business alive at the onset of the pandemic? Because being in Los Angeles, it was a hard change, like overnight, immediately, one world and then another. And it stayed that way consistently for over a year, from my opinion, at least my experience in in Los Angeles. So yeah, we're just now getting back. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, the pandemic hit and for two days, uh, I for about a day, actually, we were like, this is, what are we going to do? And then my sister said, um, she's in healthcare. And I, my sister said, um, I asked her what she was doing that weekend. And she goes, I'm making, um, I'm making, uh, masks for my local, for my clinic that she works in for her clinic. She goes, people are going to need them. And I said, no one had even talked about masks at this point. And I said, okay, I'm going to do something online where I'm going to make a hundred masks in two days, completely donate every single one of them. And I'm physically going to sew them and, and then get, try to get a hundred people to do a hundred masks. Like I just, it was sort of a goal or one person to do a hundred other masks, you know, long story short, it sort of went viral, um, that weekend and the amount they were already donated by that Sunday evening, but friends were sending me cases of wine and like people, you know, wives of husbands who just got diagnosed with cancer were reaching out to me going, I'll pay whatever you need for these masks. And I was like, here, I'll drive them to you. But when that happened, I realized the need. So many doctors reached out to me during that time. I realized that this was an opportunity for us to give back to our community keep our business alive. And I knew that their mass would be needed. And so we, within a week of the pandemic, were in full mask making mode. Um, we donated two masks for every one we produced, um, which was awesome. And that kept us alive for the first. And then we partnered with Michelle Obama's nonprofit um, making vote masks. And we were the ones worn for every single one of their, when we all votes uh, events across the country. And, um, and that kept us through November. So it truly kept, it saved our business. 
That's incredible. Yeah. What did it look like on the apparel front? How did that change? Because you do direct to consumer and you do wholesale. Um, so what did that look like on the back end? I mean, crickets. Crickets. Yeah. It was, I mean, we would go three weeks with or months without an order, which has never been the case. I mean, that's we're a, you know, we're a high priced item. Uh, you know, it's a hundred and $75 or something for a pair of pants. So, you know, we don't get thousands of orders a day, right? But to not get one order in a month was what, what it was real. Right. And, um, and so we decide, I just decided not to think about it. I just thought, okay, here we are with masks and I'm not going to think about clothes. And if I have to make masks the rest of my life or something like that, we'll do it. However, I was thinking of the future and, and some of our whole, some of our wholesalers still wanted a little bit of clothes. So I produced a capsule collection for fall just to have something to give people and, um, and a little bigger one for this spring, um, that I didn't think would sell at all. And it's actually selling like crazy, amazing, which is amazing. People are ready to get back. Also, also a really good collection. I think there's it, it sort of teaches you that in the middle of strife and challenge boundaries, maybe are the best thing for creativity limitations because mm -hmm. it makes it very clear. Like here is what I can do. I have these three options. And then you, for me, I work best within limits. And so I was able to create a really good collection. That's basic and gorgeous and speaks to, I think what people are craving right now, which is like richness of, you understand this with your jewelry, richness of color, depth. They want, you know, we all want that right now and comfort. When does that collection launch? It launched in February, spring launched in February. Perfect. And um, it is now the entire spring collections on the website, which is awesome. Thank you for letting me plug that. Ripleyreader.com. Thank you. You're um, and then, uh, and then we have a various capsule summer and then Actually, our fall that we're doing was actually supposed to be fall, winter 20, but I put it on a shelf and I thought I'm not letting all these beautiful images go to waste during a pandemic. And we're bringing back some colors that sold out. We're bringing, it's just a, it's a collection to get us back on track. So hopefully we'll see how that goes. I think it's going to be great. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. We also opened up sizing for all seasonal colors for all sizes, which I always offered all sizes up to a three X, um, in my essential colors, essential collection. But now we sort of got rid of that because we are really only doing essentials at this point, basics mm -hmm. that we are offering all colors and all sizes, which is also aligned with our mission, which is great. Amazing. So you mentioned earlier that a capsule collection is around 14 pieces. What does a full blown collection, what does that look like for you? Uh, 50, 52 pieces. Wow. Is that including color runs or is that 52 individual pieces? 52 styles. It's about 121. Yeah. It's too big for holy, me. It's too big. holy skew count. Yeah. It's like, it's like one of those situations where we that's, I mean, and that's not huge. Like you look at a, a geez, Louise, who, who has a, a full collection, like a Tory Birch, mm -hmm. huge, huge collections. I don't know how they do it. And they're manufacturing, a lot of them are manufacturing abroad. So I don't know how they do it. I truly, 
And then you look at a brand like LaPointe, like Sally LaPointe, who has effortless collections. They're beautiful, but they're not big. They're small. They're very clear. They're very, and, and I realized that was the direction I was going to go. It's so wonderful. I can't wait to own even more. It's my ah, favorite. It's my thank favorite. You. Thank you. I hope um, you feel good in it. I feel like my best self always, always. Um, you work with your spouse. I do. We love Ben. So explain when he was brought onto the, onto the team, onto the company and how that dynamic played out. As the company, sorry, a little technical difficulty. <laughs> As the company grew, we needed a CFO and um, an operations director, director of operations, COO. And Ben is an, is an engineer with an MBA. That's his education and his training. And he was working in green energy at the time. And then he got a job working with fashion companies actually um, with their R&D research and development, things like that. And um, it sort of just worked out at the same time that that my fashion brand sort of took off. So for two years, he was pretty much doing the job that he's doing now, but he was doing it at five in the morning and then at midnight. Um, But it came to the point where I need to hire someone and there's no one I trust more than Ben. And me neither, honestly. I, I tell you what, he's the, best. the annoying thing, he's like, he, I wish, I wish I could say something like, it's really challenging to work with your partner. For me and our dynamic, it is not, cha- that is not challenging because I trust him so much and he trusts me. We stay in our own lanes. The only time we overlap is um, fit tests. So when we fit a piece, he asks questions like, can you raise your arm? And I don't care if they can't, because if I like the way it looks like, I don't care. But Ben, Ben does the things of is the hole on the right, the same size as the whole armhole on the left. So that's the only time we overlap. And he really does. He takes care of systems and, um, and, and financial sort of like understandings that, of course I could learn to do, but I don't, that is not really in many ways where I shine. I think that in, to be a businesswoman, you have to have an understanding of those things, but I'm not going to pretend like, like a 14 page Excel spreadsheet is my jam. Cause it's just not. And it was for him. And the thing about working with your husband in some ways or your partner is that it becomes like the two of you versus the world. And so it's really brought us closer together. We have a no blame game policy. If an order, which I love it, it's the best. And we, we absolutely stick to it. And if we don't, it's a quick apology and a moving forward onward, but it's truly no blame. An order goes out wrong. uh, Something else happens. There's a mistake in production. It doesn't matter. No blame because we both mess up all the time um, and we just move forward. We fix the problem and we go and that's the end of it. So it's been, I mean, it's great. And if you know, Ben, and anyone who's listening might know him, he's, he's just a wonder. I won the lottery with him. So angel, he is angel. He is. He He is the most like grounded 
confident and calm, one of the most grounded, confident and calm people that I know. And his, I can imagine that during the craziness of, you know, the, the fashion calendar and the editorial calendar and the fashion seasons and, you know, production and things just like shit hitting the fan all the time. I can imagine that having that energy around you, not that you're not super focused and grounded yourself, but I can imagine that having him around is so helpful. It is. I mean, I'm like fire though. I like <laughs> spark and fly off and, and he's like, always like his whole thing is if there's a big challenge, he'll go, well, this is fun. Okay. This is fun. We can do this. You know, <laughs> this is fun. Okay. You know, so it's been really great. I, I, I actually recommend it. If you have that sort of dynamic, you have to know the dynamic between it's the same with best friends or, or working with friends. You have to know, I have some best friends I could work with until I'm, I mean, I could work with forever. And then I have other best friends that we live in the best friend space. We're never supposed to be, you know, and you know, that yes, since that dynamic. Totally. Um, do you have any mentors or advisors or coaches? I have a couple people I listen to. So I don't know if I've never done any, um, like, uh, organized coaching programs or, uh, anything like that, but I have an advisor who has been, I guess she would be considered a merchandising advisor, a creative director in many ways, advisor that I've had from the beginning of the company. Um, her name is Kate Sinclair and she has the best eye. She just, she asks the right questions. She's always served as sort of a, a mentor, older sister figure to me, even though she's not really older than me, but she just is wiser. (laughs) And, um, and so I've, from the beginning, she has been a big, um, a big voice in the creation of styles of the company. And so I've, I listened to her and then I listened to teenagers. I listened to teen girls. So I've had like a, I had a 13 year old running my Pinterest from like 2017 to 2020. I mean, she's now 16, 18, but I, um, I run, a, I run most things by girls under the age of 22 because I just think they have a sense. I'll, I'll run a model by them. I'll run an idea by them. And if they like it, then I'll move on it. I, I, love I'm, I much prefer their point of views than women my age because, and myself. Because I think that they have an unobstructed view of what's good and what's cool. And they've got a sense, they've got a pulse. They've got a sense of the pulse and the, cause they're, in my opinion, they're living in the future and that's where I want my collections to live. And so I really listen to them. I also am sort of obsessed with teen girls. So I'm, um, I just think they're magic. And so I have them as around as much as possible. Well, speaking of teen women, young women, mm-hmm. tell us about Camp Rocky Road. Well, Camp Rocky Road came out of this idea. It was a blog started about 10 years ago that I did. Um, just a passion project where young women would write in from all over the country um, what ice cream flavor they were. Because I found it was a good way to get to the heart of, of a young woman and let them talk about their complexities without being negative. And so it's always just sort of stuck with me and it turned into like a mentoring service or, and I taught classes at 
residential houses for girls um, and other adoption and fostering programs and then turned it into a day camp and then a nonprofit and then a sleepaway camp, which was thwarted by COVID, sadly. Um, but it is now we're establishing an online community and other really exciting things are happening around it. Um, but it's really to address the crisis of confidence I see in women in fashion. It seems like the issues that women have at 40 are the same issues they had at 14. So let's get rid of them at 14 so they can walk through life a little bit bigger and bolder. You are probably one of the most unapologetically confident women that I've met. Um, and being in the fashion industry, what you just said does resonate so, so deeply with me with, um, you know, the stories that women are told about their bodies and body image and confidence and whatnot. And things, you know, searching for external things, external means to fulfill an internal void. Where does your confidence come from? I mean, okay, I, I think privilege. I, it would, I would be remiss not to acknowledge that I came from a family that believed and instilled in me that I could do anything and helped facilitate that happening. So I think when you have an extraordinarily supportive family, um, that's a huge privilege. So I think that's number one. Um, I've always had delusional self-esteem. I don't know. In college, I mean, I would, I always just think... <laughs> I don't know. I think that this is what I think. I think at a young age, I realized that there was more important things in life than just being pretty. I think that I realized that I was never going to, I was always going to be voted quote unquote, most unique. And so I think I decided at a young age to lean into that and not apologize for, um, not, sort of, I guess, in some ways following the norm, looking like the norm. It took me a long time to grow into my body and my face and, and, but also just not being a part of, of the inertia of life, I guess. And so I embrace that. And I think making those intentional choices at a young age has given me quite a bit of confidence as I've gotten older. I suppose your confidence was a derivative of self-awareness. So I suppose the self-awareness maybe came first. Yeah. Um, for absolutely. you. Yes. And do you remember your earliest, me earliest memories of that? I mean, I don't remember. I, I was not self-aware until fairly recently. Like I believe that we come out cooked. I believe that wholeheartedly because there are so many patterns from when I was a kid to now. But as far as like my confidence and my self-awareness, that is definitely a skill that I developed in adulthood. So Explain to me about where that came from for you as a young age. It's interesting because I do believe levels of self-awareness comes as you age. So like my awareness, like I could talk to my sister and she would tell you that I was always confident, but like totally not self-aware really until let's say I was a little older. And then in my twenties, there was a different level of self-awareness and of growth, um, but I do believe that in my mid twenties, I think I started dedicating a little bit, maybe in my thirties, I early thirties, I started like dedicating, like wanting to be better in the world. And I have to say a lot of it has to do with Ben because he's pretty awesome. And I wanted to make sure that I could, that I leveled up, you know, and, uh, 
but I do think I, I don't, I think self-confidence comes from mastering something mm. outside yourself. And I was very good at dancing and singing and I was good at, um, babysitting, like connecting. There were things I was really good at that gave me a level of confidence that made me walk through the world differently. And that's something that is really important and something I want to instill in young women because true confidence comes from feeling that feeling you get when you are good at something, when you master something. And it can be anything from a video game to an anime drawing to a um, a singing competition. It doesn't matter. A needle point, like it doesn't matter what it is, but there is a deep feeling of accomplishing something, of planting a garden that, that no one can take away. It is the seed of your superpower. That's what I feel. Um, and I was really connected to that from a young age. That's beautiful. So when you go through the ebbs and flows of your business now, like when shit is hitting the fan, how does one stay centered aside from having, Ben aside. Yeah, Ben aside. <laughs> ben, aside. ben aside. How does Ripley stay centered and, and harness your confidence and harness the grit and the tenacity that it takes to move through the crazy challenges? Because you are at a certain level in your business that more money, more problems. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a beast. It's a beast. And so I'm, yeah. I'm just curious as to, as you've leveled up and it's been a, such an honor to watch you as your friend and from the outside, you know, looking in and also like a lover of the brand. Um, but I've seen this insane growth in such a short period of time. How do you manage the chaos? The success or failure of my company has nothing to do with the success or the failure of me. Mm. I am not that. I have built it. And I am grateful for the doors it's opened for me, but I had to have a real, I call them come to Jesus moments where it's like, I have these like moments with myself and I, and I've had to say recently because the pandemic brought our the fashion part of the company to its knees. And, and I, I really came to the conclusion that we all do these things. We, you know, we start businesses, we, you know, whatever it is. And we have to be connected to the journey of it. And books, I love Daniela Port. She's an incredible um, writer. And she, she instilled this in me. Maybe I knew it before, but um, solidified it. That you have to be connected to the journey, but you can't be too connected to the result. I mean, that's something that people say all the time. And I think when everything hit the fan with, with the company, it made me realize that like I the woman Ripley Raider will be fine and will have an identity if the company falls flat. I will still be fine. Will I be sad? Yes. Will I be wounded? Yes. But the, the spirit and the essence of who I am will do something else great. And I think that that has been the biggest thing for being, for, as a business owner, uh, reminding myself that I am not just the business in many ways. I think mothers have to do that a lot. They're not just a mother. They are, you know, still a woman. They're still all the things that they were before they were mothers. And, um, and every business owner knows that it's, it's a baby as well. 
different kind of baby, but you have to separate yourself from it. It cannot be attached to your identity um, on a large scale or you'll crumble. What's left of you if something happens to it? That's really beautiful. I mean, that's certainly something that I, I did not have an identity outside of my work up until three years ago. Um, to me, again, other people looking in would be like, oh, she's confident and like, she's got everything together. And, you know, we, we don't worry about Mary. She's fine. Um, but for myself, I did not separate that. So I do want the listeners to our listeners to know that if you're not at that place yet, that's okay. That is oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, and I think you have to be part of it un- before you can separate. I mean, because I remember my best friend said to me about four years into the company, she goes, Rips, I can't watch you live like this anymore. I can't watch it. It's too hard on me to watch you suffer like you're suffering. And I, it was a real wake up call to me. And I think that, I think you have to go through it before you can get to the other side and a healthy um, detachment is, is good, but you're right. You have to, I don't know if you can have one without the other. Well, that, that gives me some peace. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My former self is very much at peace. After yeah, hearing yeah. That, you know? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny how we brush over that part when we get to the other side? It's like when I was an actor, people would be like, I went to NYU and then I did blah, blah, blah. And I'm suddenly the lead on Broadway. And you're like, but what did you do in between? Like, what was the point? You know, it's easy to leave that out when you get on the other side of it. Which is truly the impetus for the show, because I think that especially with Instagram and the highlight reel of, you know, everyone's life and everyone's brands, um, I wanted people to understand the pain and the process of what it takes to really build something. Um, because we live in a day and age when, or at least pre-pandemic, the narrative was anyone can be an entrepreneur. And sure, in theory, one could, but I wanted to speak to specifically like the tried and true entrepreneurs and to let people know that this is a wild ride. If you're truly an entrepreneur, it's going to be heaven and hell all together, sometimes in the same day. I mean, just the road of entrepreneurship is, is insane. And so I also wanted to give permission to people to let them know that it's okay if you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I think, I think, Instagram has built this sort of concepting of you, your own, you are your own brand. And I, I think, I, I think influencers, I mean, I love them. They've been a huge, huge help to me as a company, but it's a different thing. Um, when you have something on the line product, whatever that you have to, and you have to put money up for it, all that stuff. It's a different game. And it takes a different level of dedication and commitment. And it's not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so I think that, um, I, I think that you have to commit differently when you decided to be an entrepreneur. And I do think that people are cut out for it or they're not, or on some days they're cut out for it and some days they're not. But on the whole, I do, I, I think having that permission to just, be your, you know, without having to consider yourself a brand or whatever is, is a lovely permission slip. Um, I, I also think as a business owner, you have to really decide 
how you're going to do it. Are you going to suffer through it? Are you going to let, let the start listening to the things that are working and, you know, are you going to knuckle through it? Or are you going to go with the flow? When I, and when I say go with the flow, what's working and then lean into that. And I think that, uh, it's easy when you are a business owner to do what you believe is right and blah, 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 without listening to actually what's working, you know, and that's something that has been, I've really had to cultivate that in myself. There is this idea of flexibility as I've grown into my business and as my business has grown as well, that I'm like, great. What does the market want? You know, even at the, you know, I'm like, great. This could very well not be a jewelry brand tomorrow. What, what does the market want? And that, that journey took me a long time because, you know, similarly to you, I mean, I've been making jewelry as I, since I was a kid and it's been my passion and the one constant in my life since I was seven years old. But also if that means that I don't need, if, if my company doesn't look like that, that's okay. Like yeah. whatever the market wants, like I, jewelry will still be such a big part of my life, you know, and for you doing the masks at the beginning of the pandemic and for me doing my sample sale at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm like, what will make people excited? you know, what will make people excited? And also what, how can I be resourceful? And yeah. how, how can I reduce my carbon footprint? How can we restructure? How can I take analysis of everything that's going on and restructure and both do something amazing for the internal company and give people something that makes them excited. That's, you know, $25 piece of jewelry that's valued up to 200 bucks. So yeah. heaven, <laughs> heaven, heaven, let's cultivate heaven. Shall we? Uh-huh. Can we, can we yeah. do that? Bottle yeah. it up? Totally. I mean, you know, people dealing with illness aside, I do think that the pandemic brought so much, so many um, silver linings. Oh, Um, yes. Yes. And I I am very grateful for the time and the space that it gave myself and a lot of other people where it was really needed. I mean, especially in LA, it's such a fast paced, go, go, go event based. I mean, you're spending all your time in the car and to have all that time back. It was lovely. It's lovely. Although silence is loud. So some people, it was, you know, uncomfortable for many people, but I, I'm so grateful for it. Me too. Me too. Me too. What does your daily schedule look like? Okay. Well, I get up before six. I'm an early riser. I get up before Respect. six and, um, and then I intend the normal day goes like this for the past month. I've been very tired. So I haven't been getting up before six. Um, but normally I get up before six and I take an hour and I read something that, um, I read or watch something that is really like soul filling for me. Um, you know, I love Deepak Chopra. I love Daniel Laporte, Richard Rohr, anything. So I read something for like an hour to get my, to get me in the right mind space for the day. It's usually not light outside yet. So it's awesome. It's very quiet. And then the next hour I work on something that's unrelated to Ripley Raider, the brand. Um, I'm working on a few projects with Camp Rocky Road and the nonprofit that is filling my time right now. Um, Or I do my Spanish lessons, you know, things like that. That's unrelated to Ripley Raider. And that's until eight o'clock. And then at eight o'clock, I usually work out until nine. And then I go into my office and work. Um, Or if we have a late day, we go to the beach on a Tuesday because we can. Um, Does that happen a lot? No, but we could. (laughs) 
Uh, I like that freedom. Own but it sounds nice. Yeah. And we do. I mean, like there have been days like in November, we, after the, we didn't have anything going on and we would, we just decided to go. We weren't going to work in vain. And, um, we really do listen to that. And I have a voice lesson once a week. I have a dance class once a week that I do. Um, I just put it in a potter's wheel. So I plan on doing that quite a bit, but we do, I work until about seven usually. And, um, we're downtown at our factories or doing something around, but on and off until about seven, we'll have dinner. And then I try to be in bed by like 10, 10 30. So I can get up early. Uh, but that's the day. That's my normal day. Do you work weekends? Yes. Usually yeah. both days. Uh, I try to take Sundays totally off. If we're in crunch mode, I just work all the time. Um, but I like to, we always take one day of the weekend and es- escape somewhere. Like we'll go to Ojai or we'll go on a big hike or something like that to get into nature. Cause nature's really, really healing for me as is most people. Um, and so we do that, but there's not a weekend where we're not working a little, you know? Um, also it, I think the key to entrepreneurship is, di- is diversifying. So if we're, we're not working on Ripley Raider, but we might be working on a real estate concept or something, I don't know, you know, something else or, and I work on Camp Rocky Road a lot on the weekends. That's wonderful. Yeah. What does self-care mean to you? Self-care. Uh, I think self-care means, uh, making sure that, um, I'm doing, enough to fill my reserves. Uh, I call it creative alone time cat actually CAT my mother coined it. I can't, I'm not going to take credit for that, but, um, to make sure I have enough creative alone time. So my reserves are full so I can give back. Um, I think a lot of self-care is not thinking about myself at all. Uh, volunteer work, service work, anything that I can do to get back to my community. It's really important to me. Um, Self-care is never, I mean, on some level, I guess it's manicures and facials, but that kind of stuff is surface stuff for me. I'd, I'd rather, um, watch RuPaul's drag race and get inspired. I think then that's like what, then getting a manicure clearly, as I show you my terrible nail. (laughs) I mean, mine are pathetic right now too. (laughs) Hence the move. Yeah, I guess. Yes, of course. Of course. There's no way. That's beautiful. What's next for Ripley Raider? The brand and the person. Ah, man, the world. I don't know. You know, I honestly don't know. And that's a wonderful place to be in. I really believe I would like Ripley Raider, the brand to go to really dive in to a direct to consumer um, space. We've never done that before. I mean, we, of course, love our wholesalers and I the, the buyers and the owners of these boutiques are badass women across the board and I love them. And so it's not an either, or it's an, and situation, but we've never really gone. We've been lucky with our, with our direct to consumer, but I'd like to dive into that. Uh, like advertisements, like online, you know, we don't even done a ton of that. So that's something for the brand for me. Um, I'm excited about some projects that, uh, have a little bit more of me in them rather than the brand, um, which I've not also not done, 
which I'm really excited about bridging the, the brand and the nonprofit is pretty much where I'm living right now. Uh, I also think that maybe right now all of us can have comfort in like, none of us know what's going to happen. And I feel really comfortable with that. The unknown I'm sitting in it beautifully. Cause I'm like, ah, who knows, who knows what the world will be like in three months. I don't know. You know, so I think for me, it's a little relief. Cause I'm like, well, it's not me. It's the world. Yes, <laughs> like, I, I didn't fail. Like if, if I, if this thing crumbles, like it's really, it wasn't, I did everything I could do. Yes. And I think we all have to embrace that right now. I think that um, I think we all have to be so proud of what we've done in these last 10 months, even early last year, even whether or not you wrote the great American novel or you survived or you took care of your children. Like my friends who are mothers who have had to be parents, um, teachers as well. It blows my mind. I don't know how they've done it. And, um, and I think I, the concept of being easy on oneself, I've never actually understood because I don't know what, really what that means. Um, but I, what I do believe is that we have to all pat ourselves on the back for uh, showing up every day in the face of what history will put down is some of the darkest time in our history. And here we are showing up every day. People are still laughing. People are still sharing art online. Um and I think that's something to be very, very proud of. Amen, sister. How can we support you? Ha! Huh? I don't know. That's the best. That's like the best. I don't know. No give ask is too big. Give me compliments. I how to support me. <laughs> I, you know, I really believe that it's um, you know, the continuation of what we're already doing. How do we support each other? I think um, how you support me, how I support you, how do we keep showing up for each other? Um, and that, that for me is, a, is huge support. It's like, keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, follow my like nonprofit that has like 500 followers. <laughs> or something yes, like that. plug it. It's Camp Rocky Road on Instagram. Um, you know, we have, that's maybe the best, that's like the closest thing to my heart right now. So that's what I'm, um, I'm wanting, but how do we, can we support? That's a great, only you would ask a question like that. It's so good. It's so good and deep and wonderful that I'm just not ready for it. Even though I, I should, I should be, I should be. But. You can get back to me on it. Yes. Yeah. The I'll, ask I'll does not end here. <laughs> Send me chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> Done. Compliments, <laughs> chocolate, following on Instagram. These are very yes, easy things. Done. Perfect. <laughs> Done. Um, well, you are a dream. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so touched that you wanted to talk to me. I'm, um, I think that there's a lot of people who just talk and, uh, and I'm, I've always been impressed with your dedication to doing. And so I hope that and I believe that this uh, show is is sort of, it's like your lesson in doing and you're an inspiration to me in that way and always have been. And um, I'm really, really honored. So I love talking with you. The feeling is mutual. I miss you. Honestly, I was like, any chance to chat with you? <laughs> yeah, I did out. Let's record it. Let's record it. it. 
Let's put it out there. I know. Oh my goodness. Well, I love you so much. And thank you for I love being you so here. much. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you got what you needed. <laughs> Always. Are you kidding? There are so many quotable moments. Oh, good. Okay. Good, good, good. I love you. I love you. Mwah. Thanks, mama. Thank you. Holy moly. What an interview with Ripley Raider. Ripley, thank you so much for coming onto the show. A big thank you to our radio station, Dash Radio, and thank you to our producers at Island City Management. If you like the podcast, please follow, like, and subscribe. And if you want to catch us offline, you can follow us on Instagram at Marin Costello and Marin Costello Radio. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to Ripley Raider's wonderful story. We will see you next week. Oh, please. Don't you rock my boat Cause I don't want my boat to be rocking Oh please, don't you rock my boat No, no, cause I don't want my boat to be rocking I feel